0: All right, well, um, so Zach prayed for me uh, because I'm preaching, but I found that out just yesterday um, because Ross is under the weather. So um, we're going to do this together, okay? And don't, this happened in the first service too. People laughed when I said that, but like, like I feel like that's, I don't know. We're going to dive in to Hebrews chapter four this morning. We're going to take a break from Matthew. Ross had already prepared a message for that. So you'll get to hear from that next week. But we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter four. We'll start in verse one in a moment. And it's interesting because we've moved through this holiday season, right? At the end of 2022, we kind of walk through the holidays. You get to Thanksgiving and your hope for rest, your hope for family, your hope for great food, but it can seem really busy. Then you have Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Small Business Tuesday, right? You begin to spend money left and right to get just the right Christmas presents. You try to send your wish list to your family so they'll get you the right Christmas presents. And then all of a sudden Christmas happens. Seven days later, New Year's happens and we're in a brand new year. And what we were hopeful in rest and peace and joy has just probably been moving at such a fast pace. And while there were good memories and there were good laughter, hopefully for some of us, we move into a new year, and we're surprised by that in some ways. And for some of you, January 1st, actually, for all of us, means all sorts of things, right? some of us, it means new hopes, new dreams, new desires, new goals, new resolutions, um, new anticipation. Some of us, there's a new job, there's a new family that's starting this year. Like we are exciting, we're looking forward to those things. For some of us, 2022 was really hard. I know even in my family, there was sickness, there was a house flooding, there was death of a father like there was a funeral, like those were hard things. Even as we sang homecoming, I was reminded of my dad's funeral this morning because we sang that song at his funeral. And you think, how could it move forward? Like how can kind of the pain of 2022 move forward into 2023? And then others, even as we think about a new year, there's a restlessness, there's an anxiousness, there's the unknown that's in front of us. And we're not quite sure what to do with that. And something that we, all maybe be having in common and it's less now probably because so many years uh, we've seen some failure in it, but like we have these things we call new year's resolutions or goals, right? Like we end the year and we start to think about what we hope to accomplish. Anybody in the room or anybody at Cove, you guys can do this too, make any new year's resolutions this year, anybody. This is way less. I feel like there may not be a hand in the room up. Anybody bold? Yes, one person, that's great, okay. Um, anybody ever make a new year resolution in their life? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so probably the reason we don't make them as much is because we break them pretty quickly, right? Um, I know from me, I read this book over the Christmas break on art. Um, so instead of deciding I was just going to go to the gym every day in the new year and break that resolution quickly, I decided that I was going to love art more. It was by Pastor Russ Ramsey. It was learning to love art through the eyes of faith. So I finished the book. A few weeks ago, I go to the art museum. They asked me what I was doing there. I thought that was weird to say. Um, and I said, I would like to join the art museum. So I became a member right there. I had my membership. When I got home, my wife's like, you do what? I was like, I joined the art museum. Like I'm trying to just learn about art more. And I get there, I walk around, I enjoy it. I make a goal because I kind of read in this book, don't try to do the whole thing at once, just take it in. So I made a goal to come back the next week. So the next week comes and sure enough, Um, I'm getting ready to go. And then I realized, you know what sounds better than art? A nap. And I went to sleep and and, uh, I broke my resolution. And it's interesting because our resolutions have economic connection to them. There's companies that are hoping that we keep them like gyms and health food companies. And there's companies like the people who make Oreos and Pop-Tarts who hope we break them, right? But the reality is this, that 80% of people fail their goals or their resolution by the new year. Ross said he preached once this idea of what do you do when you fail your New Year's resolution. And, and I thought that was really hopeful and really encouraging. But I think often our resolutions or our goals are just thinking about a new year, even if we don't write them down anymore, which apparently nobody does, okay? Uh, at least at river tree. Um, <laughs> is, it's connected to doing more, right? To going more places, to accomplishing more, to seeing more of the world, to trying new things, and this idea of doing more is really connected to who so many of us are because by nature, so many people in this room are doers. And for me, something uh, that this idea begins to do is it begins to stir tension within my heart this idea of just accomplishing more and doing more. Like I could feel myself even getting a little anxious about that. Maybe as you walked into church this morning or you drove here this morning, your to-do list was already becoming overwhelming. If you're like me, I've caught myself. I mean, I'd love to say I listen to the sermons perfectly 100% of the time, but I've caught myself daydreaming and thinking about my week ahead because the to-do list can seem overwhelming at times, and it can stir this restlessness inside of us. And sometimes that restlessness is used for good, right? It motivates us, it moves us, it drives us, but other times it almost feels defeating. And with school starting back for so many of our families, I wonder where do we find a solution when we, this year in 2023 when our hearts do get restless? And scripture holds this out for us. We find the solution in the Bible, rest. Here's kind of where we're going this morning. Jesus offers rest. Our restless hearts. So, so whether it's your to-do list or just the circumstances of life that have caused your heart to find itself in a restless place this morning or this year, I would I would take it a step further and say this: that Jesus offers real rest for our restless hearts. I was introduced to a book a few years ago about rest. And the author connects this idea of rest to Proverbs 14, 12. He says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. I mean, how many times have we read a social media post or a book or listened to a podcast about just all that we can accomplish, but instead of giving us life, it actually sucks the very life out of us. I wonder how many times I've personally pushed away real godly spiritual rest in the name of accomplishing more. And in, instead of really seeing something good happen in my life, I've actually damaged my social, my mental, my physical, and my spiritual health. You know, in that same book, he, he has this beautiful illustration, Like if you've ever been in an airplane, uh, the stewardess or the pilot will say this at the beginning of the flight, they'll say in the unlikely event that we lose cabin pressure. And I always hate when they say that, okay? What do you do? You take the oxygen mask and you put it on yourself first before you help others. It's not a selfish thing to wanna breathe first. In fact, it's selfless. And I would say this, it's not a selfish thing to rest in the way that God offers us in scripture. In fact, it's one of the most selfless things we can do. So let's read Hebrews chapter four, verses one through 11 this morning. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest least any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Because, of, because they were not united by faith with those who listen. For we who believed enter his rest. As it is said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David and long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. So a little context helps us with this text. The writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of people who were following Jesus, but they weren't experiencing what they hoped for when it came to Jesus. In fact, in some ways, this passage could have been surprising to the early church. Instead of experiencing rest, they were experiencing persecution and suffering from every single side because they had left their ancient religion and they had entered this new faith, this following Jesus. For some in the early church, this passage could have even seemed cruel. And yet it's to these endangered hearts that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. And in the same way he's writing to our endangered hearts, like this idea of rest with all you have going on in your life could seem cruel to some degree, but I love that scripture still speaks to where we are today. In verse one, the writer says, therefore pointing the readers to what he wrote in chapter three, he's just spent some space writing about the unbelief that Israel experienced in the wilderness. See, Israel had heard a sort of good news and it was preached by Caleb and Joshua. And if you're not familiar with scripture, basically the people are in the wilderness. They're looking to go in the land that God promised. 12 spies go, 10 of them come back. They say, we'll lose, we'll be defeated. The giants will kill us. But two come back, Caleb and Joshua, and they preach good news. And they say this, they say, we will overwhelm the enemy. The Israel's response was unbelief. It had no value to them because it wasn't connected to their faith. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it, right? The nation of Israel from the time of the Exodus all the way to this point had experienced so much of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's mercy and God's grace. They had seen the plagues and the seas parted. They've been led by pillars of cloud and fire. They had witnessed God's power and provision for them daily yet met with this new challenge. They said, no way. They said, God can't do this. God won't do it. It's too difficult. It's too overwhelming. They found their hearts in a restless place. And most of them in that day were believers, but yet only two of them believed God for His word. And let's say this, maybe it's not much different than what we experience with God sometimes. I mean, how much have we seen the Lord do For those of you who've been saved, you have been saved from an eternity separated from God and you have been adopted into his family. That alone is a miracle. You were spiritually dead, but now you're alive in Christ. We've seen them answer prayers. We've seen them do miracles. We've seen maybe not God part the seas, but man, he's changed the circumstances in our life for our good and for his glory. If there are moments, if I kind of look at my own heart, that I become restless. God's word says something, but I'm like, God, I don't believe that. God, I'm not sure that's true. And I believe the reason that Caleb and Joshua were so convinced that God would deliver them is because they understood how pleased the Lord was with them. The reason they had so much confidence is found in Numbers 14, verse 8. It says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to them. I love this. They understood God's pleasure in them. They understood God's unwavering commitment to his people, his plan, his purposes. And I hope that we can know that this morning. I hope that as you are in this room and you leave this morning, you get in your cars and you go about your week and your day that you would know that you have a God who is unwavering in his commitment to his people that his love is set on those who belong to him and nothing will shake that, nothing will change that, not even the restlessness of our own hearts. And it's out of the reality that God delights in us, that God is pleased with us, that God loves us, then, then we can actually rest and then in our rest, we can do the good works that God created for us before the foundation of the world. That's my hope, that's my prayer for you. I mean, it's this idea that the writer of Hebrews continues to connect to. He says, it's not just any rest God offers. No, in verses three and four, it's actually God's own personal rest. I mean, isn't that magnificent? God doesn't say like, hey, I have rest, and then I give you rest. No, God says, I'm gonna let you enjoy what I enjoy. God says, what I experience in resting is actually what I offer out to you. And it can look different for each of us. I remember a few years back, gosh, it's almost 15 years ago, I had a group of friends who were in the ministry and they're still in the ministry. Um, and they talked about this idea of how they found real rest. And I was really attracted to that. They said they would rent a cabin in the woods, they would get alone with their Bible and a journal and they would just spend the weekend just praying and seeking the Lord. And I thought, that sounds wonderful. Like I have so much going on in my life. I feel so busy, I feel so overwhelmed, so I'm gonna do it. So I booked a cabin in Northeast Alabama. I printed my map. Some of you don't know what that means, but like we used to print MapQuest, okay? And uh, I followed the directions. As I'm following the directions, I take a wrong turn. And if you're from Alabama, you know, if you take a wrong turn in Alabama, it can be a very wrong turn, right? Like you could end up somewhere you never intended to go. Sure enough, I was on the dirt road. And I was a little concerned because there was nowhere to turn around. I was by a river and then dogs started chasing my car. Okay. (laughs) I thought this isn't good. And then all of a sudden guys just came out of the woods on four wheelers and started chasing my car. And I thought this is really not good. And I drove as fast as I could and I got out of there and I got to my cabin. And it's exactly what I expected. I didn't grow up camping. I didn't grow up in the woods, but it was what I thought it would be. It was a cabin in the woods with nothing else. Okay. So I got set. I was a little nervous, but I went to the, the town restaurant. I get to the restaurant. I'm the only person in the restaurant. And in that moment, I thought I could be like in a horror movie and I don't like those. <laughs> so sure enough, I went back to my cabin. I got my Bible out, started praying, started seeking the Lord, started thinking, I think I really am in a horror movie. Like nobody knows where I am. I don't have cell phone reception. It was anything but restful. So I got in my car, I survived, spoiler alert, and I went home and I rested where there was cell phone service and there was a bed and there was a good cup of coffee. See, I think we get this idea sometimes that rest is a day at the beach, it's a day in the mountains, it's a day at the lake, it's a day in the woods by ourselves with our Bible but I think what scripture is holding out is more than that. Those things can be really good things and, and, and kind of like avenues that God uses to provide rest for us. But I think what God is talking about here is something more profound than that. Look at what he says in verse four, he says, for somewhere is spoken about the seventh day of these words and on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. I love how he says that. He's like in somewhere he spoke it. I mean, the writer of Hebrews has vast knowledge about scripture. He knows exactly where God talked about resting on the seventh day. He could probably tell you exactly the section quoted in Genesis, but he's he's saying something more for us here. He's saying that it's not about a day. It's about the fact that God just stopped creating. Could God have created more? Absolutely. He's God. There's a model for what he wants for us. He stopped. And he rested. In scripture, we see that God's rest is joyous. Remember, Josh did a good job in December talking about joy and happiness. There's a difference, but God's rest is joyous. God's rest is satisfying. I think there's an implication for all of us that, that the fact that in the creation account that he said over and over, for it is good, reminds us that God's rest is satisfying and God's rest is working. God didn't just stop working, he stopped creating. He stopped the good work he was doing at the time, but if God had just stopped completely, the world would have fallen apart. In fact, Jesus says in John 5, 17, my father is always at work to this very day and I am too, I am working. But not only is God's rest there shown in scripture, it's available to us. When the writer says to enter his rest, the good news for us, that's the present tense. Like he's not saying, hey, this is some rest you get in the future. This is some rest in the past. No, this is rest for us today in the present. It means that believers, we are in the process of entering God's rest. I need some of you to hear that this morning because there's some who could be tracked by this idea of perfectionism. If I don't do this idea of rest perfectly, like I'm just gonna give up and not try. But, but in the Christian walk, often our life is more connected to progress, not perfection, because we're connected to the one who is perfect in all his ways. I think some of the early church could have become disheartened because of the persecution they were experiencing. They could have looked at the lives of David or the lives of those who entered the promised land and said, this is a promise for them. It's something that looking at others always will lead to. If we're not careful, we can look and say, well, if I just lived in this time, God, if I just had these parents, God, if I just had this job, God, if I just had this much money, then I could rest. God, if this one circumstance in my life that's really difficult, really horrible, really hard, like if that would go away, and I could be more like person A or B, or I could have their life, like I would be okay. And that is a deadly, deadly trap. Like no one wins in that game of comparison. In fact, that can cause more restlessness in our hearts. But real rest is more than this. It's more than having the right job, the right money, the right family. Those things can be good things and helpful things, but real rest is more profound than that. You can talk to people who have all that and they are a mess. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in verse eight, Joshua didn't give the people real rest. Yeah, they entered the rest. They stopped wandering in the wilderness. They got to the promised land, but it's not the same rest that God enjoys himself. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is someone greater than Joshua has to come. And the person who came is Jesus. Like he came on our behalf. The rest talked about Hebrews chapter four, isn't just rest from our enemies or from our difficult circumstances or for the things that plague us the most about other people or the things that plague us the most about ourselves. No, real rest is found in the person of Christ and it's rest for our souls. Some of your souls are exhausted today when you come in here. And you know, there's, there's this old story about when the Europeans first got to Africa and they were kind of trying to take the whole nation and they were, they were kind of going through the land and as they got to the land, the people they were with, the indigenous people stopped. They just stopped dead in their tracks and the Europeans didn't know what to do. And they said, we've got more work to do. We've got more things to do. Why have you stopped? And they said, you've worked us so hard. We're trying to let our souls catch up with our bodies. And I wonder for some of us if we could pause long enough, we could turn off our phones, we could turn off the noise and we could just get alone with God and enjoy his nearness and his pleasure and his delight in us. That's what we find in Christ. It's what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. His rest always remains a gift. It's not something that we even construct ourselves. Because of the cross reminded this, just how much God loves us. Like you wanna find rest, just look at the cross. Think about the work that God did on our behalf. See his love for us. And I think this, that when you know how loved you are, how cherished you are, how much God has pursued you and the great lengths he went to show you that, that brings rest, right? Somebody asked me this morning when they found out that I was preaching kind of the last second, they're like, how are you? Are like you nervous, you scared, you're anxious, and, and probably, right? But more than that, I said, I'm loved by my Father. I'm accepted. Like, we'll see how it goes, but that doesn't change my position with God. And I was at rest, I was at peace. And that same rest I had this morning, I want for each of you. It's at the cross, they were reminded of His relentless pursuit of us. He's still pursuing you right now. It's at the cross that we experience the work of Christ and we experience forgiveness. If you are in Christ and you've really experienced this forgiveness and you're walking in that, man, that'll calm a restless heart, right? To know that all your past, present and future sins are paid for at the cross. It's not a license to sin more, but it's just peace with God that you have like that brings rest. It's at the cross that we find real rest. It's where Jesus says the words, it is finished that we can find real rest. When he said that, he meant that. And because of the work of the cross, cross, we can rest. We can rest from trying to earn God's approval constantly. We don't have a God who we just have to appease all the time and make all these offerings. No, we can know that his work was enough. We can rest from trying to be good enough to be right with God. We can rest from this, the, the attempts of trying to save ourselves from our sin. Hey, each one of you in this room makes a lousy savior. You do, you make it a lousy savior for yourself and for your friends and for your family. We can rest from the guilt and shame our sin produces. Romans 8, 1 says there, therefore is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. And we can rest from trying to prove ourselves to everybody else. Now, this is not an excuse for not like trying to be dedicated to the Lord, okay? But this is a freedom. I know the pressure it is to be flooded with social media, to always be in the trap of comparison, to look at others' lives and wondering like, how can I get there? I also know the freedom it is to be like John, the beloved disciple who knew his identity was safe and secure in Christ and he rested his head on his Savior's chest. That's where rest is found. And then we can rest and trust Jesus meant what he said. There's a group of people in John chapter six who asked Jesus a fantastic question. John 6, says, then they said to him, what must we do to know we're doing the works of God? I mean, I wanna know that. If you're a Christ follower in this room or watching at Cove, you wanna know that, right? Like you wanna know, like, how do I know I'm doing the works of God? And listen to Jesus's kind words. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. You throw everything you are on him, that you bet your entire life on I mean, that Jesus is worth it and Jesus is enough. And you put your yes on your table and you say, God, my life is yours. And when yeah. we do that, you know what happens? We find rest for our restless hearts. He's the anchor for our stormy seas, life throws our way. And it's something that all of us at River Tree long for you. And one of our mission markers at River Tree of a disciple is this, am I resting in the finished work of Christ? And if that question starts to produce guilt and shame in your life, you've missed that. Okay, like that's not the purpose. It's a good question. It's a question I've asked over the years. And there's times, no, I wasn't. I was trying to solve every problem I had on my own I was trying to posture myself in a way where like everyone thought I had it all together. I tried to always kind of just position myself in a manner that nobody would know that man, I am broken and I'm needy and sometimes I'm not okay. But the great news is even when I failed at resting in the finished work of Christ, Jesus did not fail me. He did not stop pursuing me. He did not stop loving me. He did not stop wooing me back to himself. He still loved me in those moments. And one of the greatest ways that I've learned to rest is moments like today, where I know maybe it won't go perfect. Maybe it's not the sermon I would have worked on the whole week to prepare for you, okay? Maybe it's something that I actually have to say, hey, anything good that happens really is from God. But those are good and sweet and gracious moments that our God gives us. In a sense in ministry, and I don't think it's just in ministry. I think you could feel this pressure too. Always gotta be on, always gotta know the answer, always gotta have it all together. There's a, there's a perfectionism in some of you that if it's not perfect, it's not done right. And maybe you're learning, it's something I'm learning in my life, it's okay to not be okay. And that's a pressure the Lord never intended for you to have. In fact, he says, come to me, those who are weary, and I'll give you rest He doesn't say solve solve your problems all on your own, clean yourself up and then come to me. Like when we take a shower, I heard this recently, like we don't get clean before we go in the shower, right? Like we go to the shower to get clean in the same way we come to Jesus to get clean. And I wonder if it's what was illustrated in Luke 15 with the prodigal son, when he finally comes to the end of himself and realizes how much of a wreck his life is and how restless his heart is that he comes back to the father and he thinks to himself, I'm going to give him i I'm sorry speech. And sure enough, the father sees him when he's a long way off, runs to him, embraces him, puts his, his robe on him, gives him his ring and throws a feast for him. And his son can finally find rest in his father's home. I wonder if that's what we could experience today. This morning, no matter what last year held for you, and no matter where you are today, no matter where your heart finds itself, I'll leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. And it's an invitation. And if you've never trusted in Christ, you can do so today. But here's the invitation, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The band's gonna come.